Um, the year is 2002. It's, it is fall, and it is in Redding, California. And up in Redding, California, in the fall, it's a very beautiful time. Um, I'm on a softball field, and this is softball field was made for whatever reason. The school never had a softball team at this point, but they made a softball field, which makes sense. Um, and the baseball team was on the softball field practicing. Okay, and it is about dusk. Uh, it's real late. Um, it's the nights are getting longer, and so we're there. And every single night that we're there during the fall practice, it's just the team. Uh, the coaches weren't there at this time. It was just the guys getting out there and practicing. And every night, a different person was called on to pray. And every night, I would walk kind of behind another player, and I allowed them to pray instead of me. And so then one night, it's almost to the end, we're almost at the end of our fall season, and or this practice fall season, and one of the guys goes, hey, it was my... It was my roommate, Cody, who I had never, who I've hated ever since, um, said, Jeremiah hasn't prayed yet. Now, at this point, I'm only two years as a Christian. I don't, I pray very, in my own little world, um, I never pray out loud, and Cody just called me out. And so, I get real nervous, and I start just okay, and I just start talking. Now, I never know if you've ever been in a situation where you just start talking. You don't even know what you're saying. You just start mumbling off words. And by the end of it, at the end of my amen, I could hear like the stifles of laughter through the whole thing. And then as soon as that amen hit, all the guys just start laughing. And the reason why is because they, they started asking me, did you just use a bunch of slogans in your prayer? They said, I, and so they started naming them off. I, they're like, you just use the army slogan, be all that you can be. You just use the Nike slogan, just do it. And they started listing off all of these different slogans that I had said and I didn't even know it. But I had no idea what I was doing because this was the first time I had ever prayed in front of anyone. And so it was the, the most horrific moment in my life. Up to, well, not the most horrific, but it was pretty horrific. And I was embarrassed. And so that actually led me on a, a crusade of sorts in my own life about, okay, what does it mean to pray and how do I pray so the next time I get called on, I could do a really good prayer, right? So I can be really good at this. And so I still haven't come to that point. I'm still not a very good prayer. But um, there's points that God has given us, some expectations in prayer, and other parts of our spiritual life that He calls us to. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 6, verses 1-24. through 24. Now, we already did this last week. We already went through Matthew uh, 6, 1-24 through 24 last week. And we're doing it again. And the reason why is because last week we looked at the overarching theme, right? We talked about the overarching theme, but this week we really need to get into some of the details here because one of the things that I've ran into uh, time and time again are Christians that feel uncomfortable with praying. Um, and because And I get the same thing, is I just don't know how to do it. And prayer is one of those things that is very simple and... And it doesn't take much, but there are some expectations within prayer, and so we're going to talk about those. Uh, before we get into that, though, let's talk about where we're at in Matthew, okay? So in Matthew, in the first eight weeks of Matthew, we focused on the identity of Jesus. Okay? We focused on the genealogies, the proclamations, um, the challenges to Jesus' identity, and finally, Jesus himself revealing him who he is. And we talked about all these different identities, right? There was the, the son of David identity. There's the, the, um, the prophet like Moses identity. There's the unique son of God uh, identity. And so all of this is wrapped up in who Jesus is. And that's what we covered in the first eight weeks. Then in our ninth and tenth week, we talked about 
what a disciple of Jesus looks like. What does Jesus require of his disciples? What are they supposed to look like? And so we saw, we went through the Beatitudes, and they are to be um, peacemakers and, and mourners and um, poor in spirit and all these different things. And their mission is to be salt and light of the world. And so we talked about all this and how the identity of a disciple is wrapped up in who Jesus is. So the identity of Jesus is really important because as a Christian, as a follower of Christ, we cannot hope to know who we are unless we understand who Jesus is. Okay? In fact, we do a, a teaching that we call Basics of Christianity. We do it in the, in the wintertime on Wednesday nights in a series. There are three parts to the series. But in that, we start with who God is, and then we go to us. Why? Because that's where the Scriptures do it. The Scriptures teach us who God is, and then it comes to who we are, because our identity is supposed to be wrapped up in God. Right? So we talked about that for two weeks. Then last week, um, we talked about uh, this idea about salvation, and how salvation is a free gift. Okay? That salvation is a free gift, and we can't do anything for it, right? I can't do enough to, to warrant, to, to earn salvation. It's a free gift of God. And so we talked about the standard of God and how we can't reach that. And once we understand that, that we can't reach that standard, we're in a good place to be, be a disciple of Christ. Because now this is his standard. I can't reach it, so I must rely on him. And so, but we talked about last week how out of salvation goodness, God's goodness comes out of it through us. It flows. Good deeds flow out of that. Okay? And I heard this, um, this quote this past week, and so I want to share it with you. Bless you. Um, this quote goes like this. Faith alone justifies. Okay? Faith alone justifies, but faith which justifies is not alone. In other words, if you are saved, that means that you've trusted in Jesus for your salvation. That means that you've come to this realization that I'm a sinner because God's standard is perfection. And I can't meet that standard. Well, if I can't meet that, that means nothing I do can warrant, can get me, can gain me God's perfection. And so I have to trust Him. I just put my trust into what God has done. That's He's sent Jesus to die on our behalf to bring us into the kingdom. Okay? And when we trust in that, then we gain this thing called salvation. What God actually does is He takes His goodness, His righteousness, and puts it onto us. And so it's not even my goodness, it's not my righteousness, none of that. It's all God's. And so now that I have that, from that, so that's the first part. Faith alone justifies. I just trust. That's what faith means, is I trust in Christ. That's all that justifies me. Makes me right before God. That's all that it means. But from that justified faith, it's not going to be alone. You're not going to see someone that is a follower of Jesus and not have good things come out of it. Okay? The, do good deeds. Do you know, a little bit nicer than you should be. Right, A little more self-control. A little more, and you can go through the, the uh, fruit of the Spirit. These, these ideas of uh, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. Did I get them all? Goodness, okay. So, all these things, those flow out of those that have put their trust in the Christ. They're not for salvation, but they flow out of that salvation. Does that make sense? We all have a clear picture can do nothing for salvation, but out of salvation comes good deeds. Does that make sense? Does not go the other way. You can't do enough good deeds for your salvation. Okay? Are we clear? That is really important to understand. Because we can get into this idea that, well, maybe if I just do enough good deeds, then I'll get into heaven. And God completely rejects that idea. He says you can't do enough. And that's what we talked about a few weeks ago when we saw that standard. And the standard, of course, is, have you ever gotten angry? Okay, have you ever lusted? Have you ever told a lie? That's the standard. And once we say, I've done one of those things, then we've broke the standard. And so we can't do enough to fix it. So, but all that is to bring us to where we are now, because within our relationship with God, 
there are some expectations that Jesus has for us. And so that's what we're going to talk about this week. Now, we are not going to go through all the scriptures like we did last week. All the Matthew 6, 1 through 24, we're not going to do that. We've already read through them. Instead, if you have your Bible, I want you to look at, we're going to look at three verses because there are two words in these three verses that show the expectation of God. Okay, So these are, we could throw that up there, these are verse 2, verse 5, and verse 12. And the two words are, when you. Okay, so if you have your Bibles and you look at verse 2, it says, so when you, okay, drop down to verse 5, in mine it says, and when you, and then you drop down to another one, verse 16, when you, okay? Now, I'm not the best English person, okay? And, but there's some things I do know, some, a few things. When refers to time, correct? And so this is a future thing, when. So at some point in your life, in that future time, something's going to happen. And so Jesus is saying, there's going to be a point in time when something's going to happen, that something is required, that you're going to do something, okay? That's that first word, when. The second word is you, and that's you, right? That's you, the reader, the one who, or the hearer, you. So when you, and this is all in context of a disciple of Jesus, okay? So this isn't to someone that says, I'm not a Christian. That's, this is not written to that person. This is written to the you who is the one seeking to be a peacemaker that recognizes that they can't meet the standard of God, they have to rely on Jesus, okay? This is to Christians. And so he says, when you, and then he gives us three examples that we talked about last week. When you give, when you pray, when you fast. Now, how many of you, like in your, in your life, have said, yeah, I know as Christians that we are supposed to give, I know as Christians we are supposed to pray. How many of you have realized that we as Christians are supposed to fast? That means you give up food to have an encounter with God. So you say you gave up lunch, and you, instead of lunch, I'm going to be praying for our nation. We actually did this last November, or October, November. We, gave, we did a, a four-day fast, a four-meal fast is actually what it was, and every Tuesday we would give up a meal to pray as a community of believers, okay? And that's what fasting is. It's different from abstaining from something. Abstaining is just saying I'm not going to do it, but fasting specifically is I'm not going to eat. Instead, I'm going to pray. Or I'm going to seek God in some way, okay? So that's just a quick thing. So that is actually, so when you fast. So as believers, we're supposed to fast. Now, when are we supposed to fast? That's relational, right? That's based on what God wants from us. So we did it as a community. You can do this on your own. We see in Scripture, they did it as a community of Israel. Daniel did it on his own. So there are different times and reasons why we should fast. Okay? And that's, that's relational. But here we have three examples. right? When you give, so Christians, we need to give. When you pray, so we need to pray. And when you fast. Those are just three examples. But there are many more. Many more within the New Testament. Just from Jesus' words. I want to give you a couple of those. The first one's from John 13, 34. And so there are those examples, those expectations from God in clear commands. Okay? In clear commands. So this command is, Jesus is talking to his disciples. He says, a new command I give to you. Okay? That you should love one another, okay? as I have loved you. I think there's more. So you must love one another. So this is just a straight command. You are to love each other as I have loved you. And so how do we do that? Well, we've got to go find out how Jesus loves, right? And then we are to love each other like that. So there's some sacrificial love in here, and there's a whole lot of stuff that we don't, we're not covering. But very clear commands. This is the expectations of you. But then there are some that are a little more... They're there, but you have to listen for them. So one of those comes from Luke 22. In Luke 22, um, chapter, uh, Luke 22, verse 19, 
um, Jesus says this, and he's talking about communion. Okay, they're having the Lord's Supper, the last supper of Jesus, and he says, "Do this in remembrance of me." Okay, and so next week we'll have communion. And that is what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to do that in remembrance. So that is one of those when you type of things. It's an expectation that Christians partake in communion, in the Lord's Supper. Okay? So there's that one. But then there's one I think that everyone misses. Okay? I think I am the smartest person here. Okay? And I'm going to convince you real fast that I am correct. Okay? So in John 13... This is the whole situation of the Lord's Supper. This is his last time, okay? He gets down, and if you know the story, he gets down, and he washes his disciples' feet. Okay? Now, do you like when someone washes your feet? No. That's kind of weird, right? Now, when I was younger, and don't, don't hate me for this, guys, okay? My, I used to bite my nails all the time. I still do in, like, certain situations, but I used to do it all the time. And so what my mom did was he, she took me, kind of as a punishment, to her nail person. And I got a manicure and a pedicure. That didn't cure me, but I will tell you what, it really messed me up. Okay? <laughs> so I, I didn't choose my nails as much. I didn't choose my toenails either, but those got done. And it was really awkward. But, so... Jesus gets down, he washes his disciples' feet, and at the end we get this. Okay, in verse 13, we, or verse 15, we get this. He says, I have set you an example. He says, I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Did you realize that one of those expectations of our spiritual lives is to wash each other's feet? I, I know, there's some nasty feet, right? First time I got my feet washed, first time I got my feet washed, um, Marika was doing a camp, she was a camp counselor, and I went to visitors, before we got married, I went to visit her for a week, and they did a foot washing. Now, I had boots on that I had been working on all day, and here comes this guy, didn't know him, and he washed my feet, and I'll tell you what, it was... To me, I don't know how he felt. I probably felt disgusted. But for me, it was, I've never had anyone wash my feet before. And it was a powerful experience. You know, and so, but we are called to do this. I have set you an example that you should do. Man, that, I'll tell you what, if you've never wash someone's feet or if you've never had your feet washed by someone else it can be a powerful experience and so i would i would say you know maybe one of these weeks we'll just be like okay guess what we're we're washing feet today that's all we're doing today and you're going to be like man i should wash before i came right yeah but um we used to do this with the teens every single year and we would do this during our missions trip and they would be working, you know, and then we would come and have, we would wash their feet. I'd wash our youth leaders' feet, and then those youth leaders would wash the teens' feet. And I know everyone had it awkward. It was an awkward experience, but it is what we are called to do. It's the, one of those win-you um, situations. And so there are a lot of expectations. And so when we come to back into our text, back into chapter 6, we get three examples of these when yous, and in the middle of it, Jesus goes into great detail about prayer. I think that's central. I mean, it's central in the text, but it's also central in our lives that we be a praying people. And that we would understand this. And so in the text, it kind of just rolls. Jesus is just rolling out all these things. But in a different context, in Luke, in the, in the book of Luke, there's actually um, the disciples who come to him. And the disciples come to him and they said, Lord, teach us how to pray. And this is again, he says, when you pray. And so it's, it's the same prayer. It's this understanding that it is a prayer for us as disciples. And in fact, this, thing, this prayer is called the Lord's Prayer. I don't know if you've ever heard of it. 
but it's called the Lord's Prayer. I like to call it the Disciples' Prayer because it's directed at me. I'm a disciple. This is how a disciple should pray. And so we're going to go through this prayer. And as we're going through this, we have to understand this whole thing. That as we fulfill these expectations, I might be getting a little wonky here. Sorry, Carol. But as we are fulfilling these expectations, these wins, it's not for salvation. But rather a deeper, more vigorous relationship with Christ. Because when, I mean, it's the same thing. When children obey their parents, more freedom gets granted, right? More love, more trust. One of the things that growing up, I hated doing the dishes. Just hated it. Because I, I, I'm not a clean freak, not by any sort. But I have this weird thing where I don't like my sponges to be dirty. Now that might sound weird. But that's just something, so I have to clean all the plates and then use the sponge to clean all the plates, okay? Now, how that work? It's just weird, okay? Just go with me. But I hated doing this, yet my parents would always want me to do it. After I became a Christian, I decided, what is one way I can serve my parents? And that was instantly, God says, wash the dishes, okay? This is like a half-hour thing because I wash them once and then I wash them again. And so but I started doing those every single night, just washing the dishes, washing the dishes. Eventually, my relationship with my parents started to mend because I was doing things for them, and they didn't even have to ask. And I was just doing them, and it just built our relationship. And so fulfilling these expectations, these when yous, doesn't get us salvation, but rather it builds that relationship with God. It invigorates us. And then those questions of, man, I don't hear God. I don't feel His presence. I don't, all those get taken care of because now we're actually fulfilling what God expects from us in that relationship. Um, relationship. There you go. So, so let's break down the Lord's Prayer. One of these, when you. When, so here we have the first one. We're going to take these in three sections. And the first section is our Father. And so let's read through that. So this is verse 9 of chapter 6. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, you, if you've grown up in the church, you probably have, in the law churches, they actually say this every single week. Okay, And usually in the King James Version, so this is the New International Version. It's a little different, but it has the same connotations. So let's go through that. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Okay, so what's the first thing Jesus tells us to pray? To focus on God, right? To pray, Our Father. Now think about that. It's Our Father. So if you're a disciple of Jesus, this is a familial prayer. Okay? This is a family prayer. Not in the sense of you're doing this with your family, but rather, God, Our Father. That's family right? So we have to understand that this is a very close prayer. This isn't the God who's out there. This isn't a faraway God. This is a close God. This is a God you can get up into their lap, okay? So this is a very familial situation. Our Father who art in heaven. So then we go to, but we're separate from him. So there's a closeness here and there's a distance here. There is a distinction between us. And so this is a familial but separate. And then we get into this hallowed be your name. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. And you have this moment of who is this God that I'm praying to? He's family. He's distant, and He's holy. And that right there is really important to understand about who we are praying to. Because a lot of times, and especially in our society right now, we get this understanding that God is our Father, and He just, you know, just like a dad. Moms are a little different, but dads, we kind of just let things go a lot of times. You know, we... I don't want to deal with it. Yeah, go out and play in the street. I don't care. Just get away from me, right? Um, and we kind of just, 
you know, there's a reason why it's called a daddy's girl, right? Because the girl can get away with things. Not in my family, because I just knock them upside the head. Um, but, you know, this idea that I can get away with things. It's my father. I can get away with some stuff, right? Our society views God like that. I can get away with stuff. He doesn't really care about sin. But on the other end of it, we have the holiness of God. And so Jesus is very, very distinctly telling us, this is your Father who is holy. And so He is both the loving Father and the judge, the righteous judge. And this idea of the holiness of God's name. Um, in the Hebrew understanding, the it's not just who God is, but the name of God is holy. And we've kind of talked about this before, that the name of God, because it represents who He is, that you're not even supposed to speak the name. And so Yahweh, the, the name that is given to Moses, gets put away and Adonai gets replaced with it. And then in Greek, that gets replaced with Lord. And now, in the, in today, it's called the name. They don't even say a name because those that are orthodox and really staunch Jews will say, we're not even going to mess with it. We're just going to say the name. Because the name represents the wholeness, the holiness of God. And so when Jesus is saying, and your name, and hallowed be your name, he's saying, you are the holy one. And so for us as Christians, we need to understand this God who we're praying to. This God who is close in our Father, yet is separate from us. He's not a human like we are. And He is the Holy One. And so our actions, our, the things we say are important. And there will, be, there will come a time when sin has to be judged. And if you're not under Jesus, that goodness, that righteousness, then you are under your own sin. And, and Scripture says that by our, own, by our own standard, we'll be judged. And that gets into a whole other thing. We talked about how I can be better than someone else, but even then I can't even be better than them. And so just this understanding of who God is at the beginning. You know what we call this usually in one word? Worship. We are to worship God in our prayers. I don't know about you, but for me, I usually get really, I just jump into it. I'm like, God, right now I just need some, I need some restraint here because I'm going to punch this person in the face, right? I just need, right now, I just need a little help to get through my day. Usually in prayer, we just jump into it and we come to ourselves. But what Jesus is saying is, no. Knows who you're talking to. Give God his due worship. And then at the end of that, he says, Let's go back to it. Your, will, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. A lot of times we want our will to be done. God, I need this. And what we really need to do is, God, what do you need in this? What do you want from me in this? A lot of times we'll be driving down the road and, God, I just, you know, make that guy flip over his car because he just passed me and he's a jerk. Or maybe, God, you need to intervene in whatever's going on. Maybe that person is trying to fly to a hospital. I don't know. And their, their loved one's dying. If that's the case, Lord, be with them. You know, there are things, what's your will, Lord? Not my will, but your will. And I want it done here in my life as it is in heaven. Because as we've been talking about through this whole thing, the kingdom language is throughout this whole thing. Your, and then we'll get to this, your kingdom come, this idea that God's total reign needs to happen in my life. So not my will, but your will. As it is in heaven. And so this whole thing is focusing on who God is in this worshipful matter of, okay God, Everything is yours. And that's what, that's what worship is. When we come in to worship God as a, as a group, we're not coming in and just singing songs. Music is an aspect of worship. Our time with each other, the words we say, the offering we take, going through the Word, all of it is worship back to Christ. 
And so we have to understand this, that our worship in our prayers is really important. But how often when we pray do we start off with worship? And so this is so as we're walking through this, that's the first thing we need to understand is I need to worship God and seek his purpose for my life. Not my purpose, not what I desire, but his. And so we have that first part. All right, let's go into the section, second part. And there's a lot here. He says, give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors and lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And so now, where's the focus go? Okay, now I can bring before what I want to bring before, right? But notice what is being brought. Give us this day our daily bread. He's not saying, look to the future and start asking me for a bunch of stuff. No, it's a daily thing. And then he says, give us today our daily bread. And so bread can be used in a lot, be, you know, interpreted a lot of different ways. There's two ways I think are the best biblical ways. One is your actual daily sustenance, right? I have physical needs. I have those things. I, I need food, right? I need water. I need housing, you know, some sort of structure. I need certain things to actually get me through. Now, I have a lot of wants, though, right? I want that nice new gun. I want, uh, I put this on Facebook. So if you, anyone wants to, they can uh, be a part of my GoFundMe. Um, I, I only need, I only need about three to four million dollars. Okay. And yeah, and it is, it's because it's the gun that killed Billy uh, the kid, right? I think that's what it is. Um, and they're auctioning it off. Okay, so three to four million. I mean, if you have any lying around, just send them by me. <laughs> yeah, so pocket change. Um, but I have a lot of wants in my life, right? I have a lot of wants. I want this, I want that. But here Jesus is very focusing, getting us to focus on our daily, today's needs. But not just those. Not just in a physical sense, but in a spiritual sense. Because in John... Jesus calls himself the bread of life. So it's not just I need to have my physical needs done, but I need my spiritual needs. And my spiritual needs can only be fulfilled in one spot. In Jesus, right? Yeah. And so where do I need my daily bread? God, I need to be in you. I need to be relying on you. And so this understanding that my daily bread is to go to God for everything. I'm, God, I need to rely on you. For both my physical and spiritual needs. And then following this, we get two very specific spiritual needs that need to be met in our lives. The first one is forgiveness. And he says, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Now later on in verses 14 and following, Jesus gets into this really like, like very specific that our forgiveness this and it's real it's a hard issue my forgiveness from god seems to be connected deeply to how i forgive other people and it says forgive us so forgive me my debts as i forgive those who are indebted to me and so this understanding that my forgiveness of people is really connected to my forgiveness from God. Now, I don't think this is, you better forgive someone or else God's, you don't get any salvation. I don't think that's what it is. Again, we're talking about those expectations within a relationship of someone that recognizes they don't have anything to bring. So within that relationship is, if I want this clear, un filtered relationship with God and he's forgiven me all this what am I supposed to be doing I'm supposed to be extending that out so I can't hold on to things and boy I want to there are things that I want to do there's something I'm going to share with you in a couple of weeks but I wanted to hold on to something and I spoke with the elders about this I'm like I know I have to do something and I don't want to 
but I have to do it. And so it's, I want to hold on to this, but I can't. Why? Because, and this is really that whole, when I start really understanding the forgiveness of God in my own life, that I can start understanding the forgiveness I need to extend to other people. In Psalm, I don't think it's in your um, notes, but in Psalm 139, there's this, um, there's this heart issue that we need to do. And, yeah, Psalm 139, um, 23 and 24, this is what it says, Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way of everlasting. This understanding that my, I need God to look at me and I need to seek God to look at me and to really get in there. And because once that happens, now I know, wow, God has forgiven a lot. A lot, a lot. Why can't I forgive this person for calling me the bad name? Right? Why can't I do that? Because it was, it was against me. It's one thing to be forgiven, right? It's another thing to forgive. And that's a huge thing. But we have to understand, I put God into that same place. And now He's extending forgiveness to me. He's the forgiver and he was willing to do it. I need to be that same person. And so just this under, understanding that we are to speak, or we are to see, uh, sorry, we are to seek what sustains our needs and extend the grace God has given us. And then the last spiritual need that Jesus just brings up, there are more spiritual needs that need to happen, but one that Jesus brings up is this last part where he says, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. We have to wake up that there is a spiritual battle raging around us. We have to understand that. That we are a part, there are spiritual things that are going on. And if we don't wake up to it and say, God, I need you, then we're going to be a casualty in that war. There will be those times when we go out and we're like, just I, I like to call it a flesh day where you just are a jerk, right? And I've had several of those in my life, um, probably more than I'm willing to admit. But there are those days when you just like, I don't care. You call me something, I'm gonna, my whole like, anger is going to come out at you. There was one day, several weeks back, that... Um, I just one thing after another was just piling on and I couldn't talk to anyone because I knew as soon as I talked to one person, they would get it, right? I would just unleash on them and it, they might have just like walked by me and I didn't like the smell of their perfume, you know, like I, I just didn't like the way that their face was that day, right? And I just wanted to release on them. Why? Because I was, there was just the spiritual battle going on in my life and it just was hammering me down constantly and I was at the end. But I knew that if I, if I were to talk to someone, I would take them out. And so I said, God, I just need to pull away. I just need to be away from people right now. And so I sought Him in it and I didn't explode on anyone that I know of. Um... And so just this understanding, God, lead me not into temptation. I don't want to be in those situations. But it's interesting he says here, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. It almost has this connotation of, and when I, but when I get into those situations, deliver me. Deliver me before, deliver me in. And so we really need to seek after God in our and the spiritual battle, realizing. So if I said this prayer in the morning, it's, God, I know there's a spiritual battle out there. I need to rely on you. Help me to know that. Help me to respond in the way that you have for me. Okay? And so that's that last piece. And rely on God in the spiritual battle that surrounds us. Okay? So, what of our, so, so far we've covered the worship of God, right? We've covered our needs both physically and spiritually. And then there's one last part. Now, in most translations, most modern translations, you don't have this last 
sentence in there. So if you have an NIV, you probably won't have this in there. But if you have a King James, New King James, uh, New American Standard, this last line will probably be in there. And this is, and I think it should. Now, the reason why it might not be in your text is because of there's this thing called textual criticism and and all this there's a whole lot to go over in that but i'm not um but all we have to understand is there are a bunch of there are over twenty five thousand manuscripts that make up our new testament okay that's a lot okay now as translators work through them they have to say okay here's all what this one says here's all what this one says and then they make our translations from those twenty five thousand manuscripts okay make sense okay no all right anyways so not all the manuscripts has this last line in it that's the only thing so what some translators will do is they'll say and they'll put it in your footnotes they'll say this isn't in all the translations or all the manuscripts okay but if you have a king james it will be in there now if you've learned the king james version of the Lord's Prayer, then you will know this last part. And we'll put it up there. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Okay? Now, I think it should be in there. I'm of the opinion it should be because this seems to finish Jesus' thought. Because what we start out with? Worship. Where do we end? Worship. For yours is the kingdom. This, all this is yours. I am yours, God. Yours is the kingdom. It's for your glory. It's by your power. And I want it forever. Forever and ever. And then the amen means, so be it. Let it be. Those words of, I want this to happen. And so you get this understanding of, where do I start off in my prayers? In the worship of God. I bring my needs before Him. And where do I finish? In the worship of God. So when we're praying, my question for you is, do you do that? Do you pray like that? Where you worship God in your prayers and then go to just what you need, not your wants? And filter out those things? And then finish off with, let me worship you some more. Now, if you listen to how I pray, I try to follow this pattern, okay? Um, but I want to give you, I just, I was going through this and I wrote down what this might sound like in a, um, using this as a pattern, here's a prayer, okay? I just wrote this down. This is, a lot of these things are what I pray normally in my own life, okay? So you might hear some of these things when I pray, like during this time. This is why, all right? So here's just something. Um, in a modern way, okay? So, it's not going to be up there, but Father, you are great and glorious. You're beyond me. You're right here. I ask that you will, your will will be done in my life so that others may see your living work and praise you. Lord, I have a lot of wants, but strip those away so that I can see clearly what I need from you. Let me trust you that those needs will be met. Lord, I thank you for your forgiveness in my life that I was brought out of death and into your life. Help me to forgive others. I struggle with forgiving those that hurt me. Help me then to help to know how much I hurt you so that I can see how deep your forgiveness for me is. And I know, Lord, that there is a battle around me and there is a struggle to return to my sinful past. Lord, strengthen me by the Holy Spirit that when temptation comes, I will respond in the power of the Spirit. You have saved me and are cleansing me, for you are a loving and holy God. I praise your name so that others may know you as well. Amen. So this is just something that I would pray. And, and this is always changes. I, this is one of the first times I've ever written down one of my prayers. But these are some of the elements that you'll probably hear in my own prayers. Because to me, I always start off with my prayers with Father. Because that's that familial intimacy. And so, just this understanding that this is just a model, a structure, kind of like bones. And all of us have bones, right? Most of us. Okay? 
And yet, look at the diversity that God creates with humanity. We all have the same skeletal structure, yet the diversity we have is huge. And so how do we pray the, Lord, the, the disciples' prayer? It's going to be very different. Because God's people are different. We're all unique. And so how do I use this structure to help me? Worship God. Bring our needs. Recognizing the spiritual needs too. And worship God. That's how we are to pray. Isn't that very simple? Very simple. It's not a have a bunch of flowery words. You know, it's not 10 minutes long. In fact, if you were to read just this prayer, not mine, but the one that Jesus gives, you're done within a minute. God isn't interested in long, flowery prayers, but heartfelt devotion. And so this is my challenge for you this week, is to take this understanding, okay, of worship, need, worship. And every single day, pray that. Not those things. Don't go, Lord, I worship you. I need some needs met. I worship you. Don't do that. Okay? But go before God and just use this as a template every day. And just worship God in your prayer. Bring your need before Him, recognizing both your physical and spiritual need. And then bring worship to Him. I'll say this, this will change your prayer life. This is what I did. I was that person that just used slogans to just get through it. And as I went into just this prayer, I realized, wow, I don't have to be that. And in fact, I don't have, I try very hard not to have good prayers in the sense of it's nice for other people to hear. I just say words that come to my heart when I'm praying. But it's always done in the structure of worship, need worship. And once we, if we could get that, we would be a praying people. A people that seek God the way He has called us to seek Him. When you. And man, what a, what a change that would be, right? And then you wouldn't have to worry about standing in front of someone and praying. Because you're not praying to them. You're not praying for them. You're worshiping God through your prayer. And people kind of just take a back seat to that. In fact, in my own prayers, I go black in my like mind. Not blank, but like everything just gets blacked out and it's just, this is what I see, is a throne. And that's all I pray. So all you guys, when I pray, I don't even realize you're here. That's why I kind of stumble over things and I, you know, will ramble on sometimes in my prayers. Because I forget you're here. Not because I don't like you. But you're not the object of my prayers. I mean, you're a part of it. But you're not my focus. Yeah, you're not the one I'm praying to. Alright, so let's pray. Heavenly Father, I... You are beyond fantastic. Now, there's not words for us to even say how great you are because they fall short. What can we say? Awesome, amazing, bodacious. But you are just great. You are beyond, yet you come here and you're just with us. And so, Lord, I thank you that you are great and you're glorious. Lord, use us as your people to accomplish the things that you have called us to do. Lord, we need you so much. We need you to sustain us. We need you to move in us. We need you to lead us, to push us, to grab our arms from both sides and move us forward. Lord, we need you in everything. Lord, I pray for for us as your people that we would dive deep into prayer, into the worship of who you are, that we would come before you not seeking to do anything else but to be in that worship mindset, bringing our needs before you because you have called us to that. You have called us to do this very thing. 
And so, Lord, I just thank you. I ask that you move by your Holy Spirit, that we would be empowered to do these things, that it would become so natural for us that, that when we're walking down the street, we would just be in prayer. Then we get up, we'd be in prayer that it would just we just flow in and out of conversation with you as if it's never an end, but it's constantly a, a conversation that we're having. And so, Lord, I thank you. I thank you that you are a good God. I thank you for the fact that Jesus came for us who are sinners, those that we have nothing to give you. In fact, we are in rebellion against you because we want to be our own God. And yet you came and said, the standard is too high for you. If you recognize that, you can trust in me for salvation. Lord, I thank you for Jesus' death on the cross. That, That was supposed to be me that died. Lord, I thank you that it wasn't. That Jesus' gift, that his being raised from the dead and that resurrection, that he's raised to life and that I just have to put my trust in him and I get that. And, and anyone that desires you can have that. So Lord, I praise you for that because you're worthy of my praise. And so Lord, we worship you. As we continue to worship you right now with our with our songs, with our, the offering, with our continued fellowship, Lord, be honored with it. Let us join with our brothers and sisters around this world in the praise of Almighty God. So it's in your Son's name we pray. Amen.